as we prepare this morning to hear the good news about the gift of God's forgiveness for us, I invite us now to turn to the words of the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Hear the word of the Lord. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Denise. So this morning, we begin a six-week Lent series on the topic of forgiveness. And the reason that we're doing this is that forgiveness is pretty much at the center of the Christian faith. It is what the gospel is really all about. It is how, in the words of our own North Creek mission statement, we are able to connect with a life-giving relationship with Jesus. But what is forgiveness really? I mean, we use the word all the time. What does it mean? So I want to begin this whole series with a quote from Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Here's what he says. Forgiveness does not mean condoning what has been done. It means abandoning your right to pay back the perpetrator in his own coin. But this loss, paradoxically, is a loss that liberates the victim. Forgiveness is abandoning your right to pay back the perpetrator in his own coin, in his own currency. Tutu seems to be saying that at some level, forgiveness is an issue of accounting. While it may not seem like it at the first reading, this magnificent passage Denise just read, this passage that Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, is actually also a passage all about accounting. Specifically, in this passage, Paul is contrasting two completely different systems of accounting. First is the one that he refers to as the human point of view. And I want to stop and I want us to understand and I want us to appreciate this first system of accounting because it pretty much penetrates every aspect of our lives. So much so that I thought that I would 
provide for you a concrete representation, a concrete symbol, a metaphor of this first system of accounting. And that is this explanation for this piece of accounting ledger paper that is in your bulletin this morning. So I want you to grab that piece of ledger paper. I want you to take it out and I want you to hold it up. All right, you've all got your piece of ledger paper. Well, what... Paul calls the human point of view the assumption that is really at the center of all human civilization is a system of moral accounting that functions an awful lot like this piece of ledger paper. I'm wondering, is there anyone here who remembers using ledger paper before Excel, before QuickBooks? This is what we all use to record and keep track of anything that was financial. Is there anyone who still uses a ledger paper? All right. <laughs> cool. So basically, what you do, and uh, if you're under a certain age, this is like an analog Excel spreadsheet, is you actually pencil in columns, and then you proceed to enter credits and debits as they occur in your life. And the important thing is that at the end of the day, all of it has to balance, right? It has to balance at the end of the day. Well, moral accounting, the human point of view that Paul is talking about in this passage works kind of like that. You have to imagine that kind of inside every one of us is this giant mental ledger. And on it, we record anything that anyone else does, and we record anything that we do. And so on a certain day, your spouse offends you. It goes on the ledger paper. On a certain day, your younger sister, who's so spoiled, who's doing that stunt again in the family, that goes on the ledger paper. That neighbor drives over your yard or whatever, goes on the ledger paper. That coworker, that boss, that classmate, all of that stuff entered on the ledger paper. At the same time, however, everything that you do that might hurt someone else goes on the ledger paper. And for each one of those entries, there needs to be a reckoning, right? There needs to be a corresponding punishment so that the ledger balances out at the end of the day. I want to take a moment and I want to pause and just admire this human system of moral accounting. It has an awful lot to commend it, doesn't it? For the first place, in the first place, it's just. In this system, people get what they deserve. It aspires to be fair. It is the system on which our civil and criminal justice system is based. It's pretty much the system in which we raise our kids, that there are punishments and there are rewards. It is a way of making sense of the world that is wired deep inside each one of our psyches. So much so that without thinking about it, whenever we think about another person, our spouse, that sibling, that parent, that friend, that boss, that coworker, that fellow student, we unconsciously consult this mental ledger. Hmm, that person, what's their score lately? 
and this other person. What's their score lately? But I think we also do it for ourselves in relation to that other person. Hmm, how am I do, doing lately? What kind of credits and debits do I have on the ledger? I would say that we actually do this in relationship to God as well. As we think of ourselves in relationship to God. Well, gosh, what's on my ledger? How am I doing on that ledger? What are the credits and the debits? I would even say, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, we do it as we think about God's relationship to us. How's God doing? This whole system of moral accounting is so second nature, it is so pervasive that we function in it all the time without really thinking about it at all. And that is the reason that Paul's claim in this passage in 2 Corinthians that we no longer regard anyone from a human point of view, if we're honest, is simply outrageous. It is shocking. It is subversive. It is revolutionary. But it also happens to be the Christian gospel. Happens to be the good news of Jesus. From now on, Paul tells us, we regard no one from a human point of view. Instead, we are going to function from an entirely different, an entirely new, entirely familiar, thoroughly foreign system of moral accounting that you might call kingdom accounting. And this system of accounting uses an altogether different currency. It is the currency called forgiveness. Now, I don't want to sugarcoat this. This new system of accounting is, well, problematic. I mean, using this kingdom currency of forgiveness is really an affront to justice, isn't it? It is really an outrage against fairness. Because in this system, people don't get what they deserve, including us. And it means tearing up this cherished and beloved ledger, which I'm, I don't think I can do it. I, I can't bring myself to do it. We hesitate tearing up this ledger because we have so much invested in it, don't we? This ledger is what tells us our standing in the world. It gives us information about those friends, those family members, who they are, and tells us about God. It tells us about ourselves. Who would I be? Who would my parents be? Who would my family be? Who would God be without this ledger? The whole idea of tearing it up is actually really unsettling. And disorienting. And that is why I'm pretty sure these next few weeks, as we explore various aspects of this idea of forgiveness throughout Lent, we're all gonna struggle with this. Because you see, all of us give approving lip service to the idea of forgiveness, we believe in forgiveness in theory. But when you apply it to actual circumstances in my life, well, it quickly becomes problematic. You're not expecting me to forgive that extended family member who's done that thing, are you? 
you're not expecting for me to forgive that, that younger sister who always does all the drama at our family gatherings, are you? You're not expecting me to forgive that parent who was never available and never present through my whole childhood. You're certainly not expecting me to forgive my ex-spouse, are you? Or the coworker who did, or the boss who did. When forgiveness ceases to be an, extract, an abstraction, when it actually presumes to invite itself into our actual lives, it takes us to the most vulnerable places inside. It takes us to those moments in our story and those people in our story that bring us the most pain. And I think we're going to discover this in all five aspects of forgiveness that we're going to be exploring throughout Lent. We're going to start these first two weeks... um, because it really is the center of all forgiveness, with God's forgiving of us and our abiding reluctance to accept that forgiveness. And then on the fourth week, we're going to consider what it means to forgive that person who's just impossible to forgive. On the fifth week, we're going to turn that around and we're going to think about what it means to accept forgiveness, especially when we don't think we need it. And right in the middle we're going to consider the rather scandalous possibility of forgiving God. Now, as we get started, I want to make something clear. Forgiveness is all about tearing up this ledger. But, as Desmond Tutu says, it does not mean condoning what has been done. Forgiveness does not mean calling right wrong and wrong right. There is always collateral damage. There is always residue of hurt and harm that sin always leaves in its wake. And in many cases, restitution and restoration are appropriate and necessary. There's still work to be done. But here's what forgiveness does mean. It means abandoning the luxury of regarding or considering anyone from a human point of view, as in considering them as a two-dimensional comic villain. And that includes the way you look at yourself. In kingdom accounting, no one is reduced to an entry on a ledger. Because in kingdom accounting, everyone is a beloved child of God, And that includes you. This all sounds so beautiful. And it all sounds so impossible. Where would we ever find the resources to forgive like that? Where would we find the generosity and the compassion to consider people through kingdom accounting? It's almost as if we need some massive supernatural source to even begin. The claim of the Christian gospel is that in Jesus Christ that is precisely What has happened? The message of Easter is that God, in one decisive, sudden, world-changing act, dumped a massive, massive infusion of forgiveness into the world's accounting system. An infusion of this strange, mysterious, unfamiliar new currency called forgiveness. I remember from a macroeconomics class that I once had that 
When a ton of currency is dumped into an economy, the result is inflation. Well, that's true in Christ's kingdom as well, except somehow this is inflation in which the currency retains its value. As the kingdom currency of forgiveness flowing from that open tomb on Easter morning as it penetrates the world, as it circulates in the world's economy, the result is unimaginable inflation of forgiveness throughout the system. As we pay forward in our own lives the forgiveness that we receive from Jesus. And this is the marvelous process that Paul is talking about in this passage in 2 Corinthians. Now you'll notice he doesn't use the word kingdom currency. He uses a different word. It's the word reconciliation. But it really means the same thing. Reconciliation and forgiveness are synonyms. They're um, alternatives. They mean the same thing. Here's what Paul says. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is this massive chain reaction that results throughout the system because of this huge infusion of forgiveness, of divine reconciliation that happens at Easter. And this chain reaction is central to Jesus' teaching. He talks about it again and again. He talks about it in parable after parable. That the forgiveness that we have experienced from God in Him is supposed to result in our forgiveness of the people in our lives. Jesus is saying that He has poured enough kingdom currency into the system to underwrite an outrageous amount of forgiving. Seven times... Nope, Jesus says 70 times 7. Chris and Kurt are going to be preaching on that passage together in a shared sermon that they're going to do in a few weeks. Paul, in Colossians, describes the sort of life that results when we let that abundant currency of God's forgiveness transform the accounting system that we use with those around us. Therefore, Paul says, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That means living with an entirely new and different system of accounting. A system that's propelled not by a ledger, but by the currency of the kingdom. Paying forward the forgiveness that we experience in Jesus Christ. And as Paul says, this changes everything. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. On this first Sunday of Lent, this first Sunday of our series on forgiveness, we're going to walk into that new life, into that new creation in a number of ways. If you prefer just to keep your seat and remain where you are, that's fine. If you want to just enjoy God's presence, enjoy the fact that God has torn up 
the ledger on you that you are forgiven, that's fine. Could be, however, that you might want a more tactile, embodied experience of tearing up that ledger, and we're going to provide that for you. During the 10 or 12 minutes of music and singing that are going to follow immediately, I invite you, whenever you want to, to make your way up here to the front. I want you to carry that ledger paper with you, and I invite you to come up to this cross. Some of you who are here Wednesday night on Ash Wednesday recognize that this is the sackcloth of repentance that we were all wearing, and we left it at the cross. And this is the font, which is a beautiful symbol of how Jesus looks at us, looks at us as washed, looks at us in our baptismal identity as his beloved children. So I invite you to come up to the cross and come up to the font, and when you get here, to literally tear up your ledger and leave it at the foot of the cross and the foot of the font. Could be, though, that this morning you have some more specific message, some more specific communication that you want to bring before God. And that is why we do have three prayer stations. We have one right back there to the right of the door and two chairs right up here. At each one of these prayer stations, there's going to be a pastor and one of our elders. And as you come forward, you're going to take that slip of paper that was in your bulletin that you have filled out, hand it to the elder. Normally, the elder would anoint you with oil. We're not doing that, so we're going to virtually anoint you. So there will be a cross on your forehead without actually touching you. And uh, just as effective, I promise. And, and then take a seat, or if you want to kneel, there is a pillow. And the pastor and the elder will pray for you, as the rest of us will be singing. Maybe this morning, your prayer request especially has something to do with forgiveness. Because it's part of all of our story. We're part of families. We are part of groups of friends. And forgiveness is part of that. Forgiveness from God forgiveness of another person, forgiveness from another person, possibly even forgiveness of God might be your request. Or it could be that your prayer request isn't specifically about forgiveness. It's a request for healing or wholeness. Bring that as well. That is certainly welcome. So during this time, as we sing two different Taize choruses, come and step into the beautiful, un unexpected world of God's reconciliation where there is no longer any ledger, just God's sheer grace and sheer love for you in Jesus Christ.